Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to our second episode of Well Said. This is a new uh, live series that Speech First has launched. Um, it's going to be bi-weekly, and we launch it live on Facebook, but we also now have a podcast, so all the audio here will be transcribed, and you can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, download it, listen anytime, share it, share the video, uh, and give us a five-star rating. Um, on this show, we interview policy experts, commentators, academics, students, activists, um, anyone who wants to speak on higher education, free speech, and other such related topics such as American culture and policy. Um, today, we have Calvin Robinson. Calvin is a political commentator, regularly published in The Telegraph and Daily Mail. He is a regular face on Good Morning Britain and talk radio, and is a senior fellow at the Think Tank Policy Exchange, where he focuses on education policy. Calvin, thank you so much for joining us from the UK. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Great. Um, normally we do these interviews in person, um, but we are doing Zoom today because you are abroad. Um, hopefully we can get you to visit DC one of these days and, and do something in person. <laughs> that would be fabulous, yes. So our discussion today is going to focus um, on a recent uh, bill proposed by Parliament uh, called the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Bill that would impose requirements for universities and students unions to uh, basically to protect from free, uh, free speech and anyone who's trying to chill free speech. Um, so being someone on my end who's on the front lines of the free speech battle on college campuses in the US, this UK law really intrigued me. Um, I hadn't thought of anyone doing this or was actually kind of surprised to see this come out of the UK. So can you explain to us, Calvin, what does this law mean um, and, and kind of what got us here in the UK? Yeah, sure. So the problem over here for a while has been that our university campuses have been what we call no platforming people. I know you've seen the same over there. It started over here with our student unions, actually, which is quite a surprise because students should be the ones exploring and debating and challenging ideas. Um, so it wasn't even the dons or the professors. It was the students that started no platforming people. Um, and we've reached a point where we have kind of a homogeny at the moment in academia and the lecturers, the students, everyone is part of a group think of what, what, what I would call wokeness, uh, you know, what other people might call social justice. Um, and that's problematic because it's, it's, while it's well-intentioned, it's pushing the agenda that there is one approved narrative. And if you step away from that, you are deemed um, an enemy or a, a wrong guy. And that is kind of where we come into cancel culture. So the free speech and cancel culture have been directly related because of that. But there is a fight back, there is a challenge to it. Um, a few organizations have emerged. Free Speech Union is one of them, which is an organization that set, was set up to protect uh, individuals' rights to express their own opinions, mainly in the workplace. And then there was an organization called Free Speech Champions, which aligned itself with Free Speech Union. And that was set up to protect students who uh, voiced their opinions in case anyone tried to uh, you know, affect their grades or their place in their university. Uh, and off the back of these organizations and through a lot of consultation, the government has put forward the, the Higher Education Free Speech Bill, which has, you know, it was mentioned in the Queen's speech. So it is gonna become a law at some point in this country. And what this essentially will do, and we don't have the ins and outs of it completely yet because it's not being defined, but what it will do is encourage free speech champions much like this organization but in every single university campus so most or all universities will have to have someone who is responsible for promoting free speech not just for making not for making sure that it's not undermined but for actively promoting free speech and that gives 
so much freedom to people because it means that if you are cancelled in a university campus you will have someone on your side to have your back um to protect your your rights to express yourself yeah so that's that's really interesting because you mentioned it was um it was stated in the queen's speech and that's something that in america we we don't really have like kind of that that regulation where you know if if someone states something then that means it's going to actually be required to be law um and so i'm kind of curious what boris johnson's involvement is um in all of this and then also if you could explain to our viewers just kind of is this a uh, you know does this cross partisan lines are is there support on various i mean i know you have obviously more than just two parties in the uk so are is there a lot of support from like the Labour Party and and the and the Democrats and other and other folks on in your um in your parliamentary system unfortunately not no okay. we are very lucky that the Conservative Party which is the centre-right party over here has a majority in government uh, or in parliament rather which means that they can usually get new legislation through uh, because they've got an eight, uh, 82 majority at the moment so most votes will go through either even with rebellions uh, and even if the opposition which is the Labour Party the left-wing party uh, opposes it but what it means by going through the Queen's speech is that um, when the government puts forward a list of bills in the Queen's speech these are the bills that they say they are going to enshrine in law at some point and once they've been uh, once they've reached royal assent they are going to become uh, British law uh, which is slightly different to the normal debate process where we'll have three hearings in the Commons and the House of Lords, the, the two different chambers, and the, the, there will of course be a debate and there will be scrutiny and there will be amendments, but it just means that this is going to happen rather than uh, a hope, uh, which is quite surprising because, you know, the, the government over here haven't really been that big proponents of free speech for a centre-right party. Um, you know, oh. there are a few elements within it that are really, really good and really sound on this, but as a whole, as a government, they haven't really been stepping up on this issue. And I believe that's, you know, they're, they're fighting different fights with the pandemic and whatnot. So that might have some parts playing it. But no, it's definitely not cross-party. Even the Liberal Democrat Party, which you would assume by their name would be fighting for liberties and democracy, are not really doing anything in favour of protecting free speech in this country. Yeah, well, and I, when I first saw this, this come out and saw a lot of the articles around it, I got me thinking, wow, the cancel culture in the UK must have gotten pretty bad for, you know, for a country that not, you know, the US prides itself on its First Amendment and its free speech um, um, in such a way. And it's gotten pretty bad over here with how, um, how actually unfree um, it is on college campuses. Um, but it must have gotten pretty bad in the UK, um, just considering uh, the background with like censorship in the UK um, for, for people to want to actually push a law through like this. Um, what are some specific incidents that you can give us as an example? I know you have a background in education. You've been a vice principal. You've worked um, in the Department of Education. So you kind of have seen various levels of, of where cancel culture has impacted the education system. And I'm curious if there's any specific incidents that you saw as evidence that, you know, wow, this is really bad now and we have to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, it affected me personally uh, earlier this year. I, um, I regularly speak at um, education events. I usually talk about either British values or in addressing political bias in education. They're my two main focus points at education conferences. People have often seen these, speak, these talks. I do, I do the same two talks, so they know what to expect. So I was booked in for an education conference to deliver the talk on political bias in education and addressing it. Um, and I got no platform. I got uninvited from the event because people were saying they didn't want to speak on the same panel as me. Uh, and people were saying that they didn't want to be in the audience if I was speaking. 
uh, about this topic, which is astonishing to me because it's, I'm literally talking about addressing political bias and they are, you know, showing their political bias, political bias and not wanting to debate. Um, so yes, it's very prevalent. I've witnessed it firsthand, but we're seeing it more and more. We've got lists up now on the internet of all of the people that have been cancelled and it's becoming more and more prominent. So the, the government had to take notice. Um, and one of the great things about this uh, free speech bill is that it will let people hold universities to account. So you will be able to get financial recompense if you are cancelled or if they attempt to cancel you in some way. Um, but you're right, it is strange for the UK to be having this challenge because we have a very different legal system to the, to the US. As you say, your, your free speech is enshrined in your constitution, which is an amazing position to be in. But we don't have a written constitution and our system is probably the inverse of the US. You know, over here, we've, we, we have rights and freedoms to do any, anything by default unless it's explicitly enshrined in law that we're not allowed to do that. That's been the way that common law has worked in this country for centuries. It's changing now as we become more European and more and copy the American system quite a bit in, in different things that we do, especially around COVID actually, the limit of our restrictions, I won't get into. But the fact that we're now reaching a point where we have to make these things explicit and we have to say, you have a right to express your opinion in a university just shows how far we've come. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and that's something that I always found interesting, especially when I look at like Europe's reactions to what the UK does. How is the rest of Europe and the European Union responding to this? Do they have any comments? Do they even have an opinion? Because I know that cancel culture um, is pretty insidious in, in Western Europe and it's gotten to a point where, you know, it's reached the highest levels of government. So I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, well, Diverging from the European Union has helped us in this aspect because the EU is very um, legislative heavy, let's say. They implement regulations on every aspect of human life from, you know, the amount of time you can take to boil a kettle um, to, to where you can buy those kettles from. Every aspect of our lives would be dictated under, under EU law and the way that they regulate. So moving away from that, the fact that we've left and you know brexit happened means that we can have these differences in the way that we uh legislate around freedom of ex expression but you're right in that it is prevalent all across europe and all across the west i would say at the moment um yeah. i can't think of a university or actually i can think of one university that is a champion of free speech that's the university of buckinghamshire um other than that i can't think of any that are proud to proclaim the fact that you can debate openly on any issue in an academic sense yeah, no, that's a great point. I think it was a report I was recently looking at for Department of Education that came out of the UK. One in four students believe that violence can be justified as a way to prevent someone from espousing hateful views. That's fascinating. What's a hateful view, first of all? Uh, even even then, why why is violence justified to respond to it? No, I think that's very fascinating. That reminds me of some of the things we've seen in the U.S. here. Um, you know, where you mentioned um, student government or student unions in the U.K. on the campuses um, enforcing uh, speech codes, and that's something that we also see on our end with student government associations. Um, you know, they're actively trying to um, Im impose like financial regulations laws so that clubs can't receive funding unless they hold events on the supporting um, the boycott divestment um, of in sanctions of Israel or that they can't hold events um, or get money from the you know student government unless they are supporting critical race theory and holding events on those issues um, so all of this is just like very you know it's not 
it's, it's the fact that students are actually trying to enforce this upon themselves, as you mentioned earlier, um, is really scary because these are, like we've mentioned before, going to be future leaders of, of the world and they're, you're, you know, they're going to be the most, they're going to come out the most educated, you know, so it's kind of, what are your thoughts on, on what this, this, this law could potentially lead us down, you know, a positive path, or do you, do you think that it's a lost cause or what, what do you think the future is going to look like for these students? I think this law is fantastic. It will really, really help us. The campaign groups uh, like Free Speech Union, Free Speech Champions, um, Don't Divide Us, which is one that I work with. These campaign groups have been fighting for our civil liberties and fighting for our freedom of speech for such a long time. So to be armed, to be equipped uh, by the government is going to really help us in that cause. And we can spread the message of why free speech is so important. Because there is a divergence there of, of thought and opinion as well, in that a lot of people on the hard left see free speech as a weapon. Um, and they see it as a form of fascism almost. It's really, really strange. So we need to break down their, their reasoning with ironically debate. Um, and you mentioned, you know, these really, really biased, in, ridiculous institutions in America that are saying, you know, you need to subscribe to critical race theory or subscribe to that before you can be a member. And it's, I'm so sorry to see Trump's executive order uh, be renounced because that anti-stereotyping uh, executive order was some of the best legislation I've seen in a long time in that it said, okay, if you are an institution, a public body or a university that says that you're racist, you, your public funding will be cut because we don't believe in racism. It's a bad thing. and We don't want to see it done. And I thought that was, that was great because that was really calling their bluff. And it was also enshrining in law that you cannot stereotype, so, sorry, stereotype based on sex, gender or race. Uh, these things are things that we consider immutable characteristics, the things about ourselves we can't change. So, of course, you shouldn't stereotype or discriminate based on them. And, you know, love or hate Donald Trump, that executive order was fantastic. So to repeal it uh, is, is a very weird statement to make, you know, and I, I get it's about party politics between the Democrats and the Republicans. But at the same time, if something is a very liberal, progressive document uh, that both parties should ideally subscribe to, it's, it's a very weird thing to repeal it. Right, completely agree. Anyone who's watching live, feel free to submit questions. We can get to those at the end of the discussion. Um, Calvin, what's the what is the response of students and professors um, on on the campuses to this law? Um, is there a lot of criticism? Um, are they quiet on it, or do they you know support it? So I've yeah I've heard through the grapevine from a few um, vice deans, vice chancellors, and and you know principals that those kinds of roles that have. When they get together they discuss these issues and they've even said so a lot of them in our country tend to be left-leaning you know in academia 80 percent of academics are left. -leaning. our country too so right. <laughs> it, that's a problem in and of itself but at least they tend to recognize it but they they are surprised they're taken aback by how much further the students have gone so on the left they tend to think you know it's a cliche but they tend to think that they are right and therefore good and anyone who disagrees with them is wrong and therefore bad whereas on the right we tend to think that you know they're just wrong not necessarily bad we have different perspectives but the problem with that mindset is that because they think they're morally superior they don't understand the the the, the logic behind exploring different views because they, they they don't assume that they could be wrong whereas you know I, people like me and people I, I assume like you people on the center right or in the center of politics tend to think well you know i believe this but is it right and that is an exploration of the truth and everything we do i think should be an exploration of finding the truth but at the moment in the student cohort it's all about my truth and i don't know what that means i think it's you know my personal perspective my personal opinion that when we label it my truth it gives it an objectivity that is incorrect and very worrying 
Uh, it's not just in, in England either. So I don't know if you're aware of the hate crime bill in Scotland uh, being pushed forward by Hamza Youssef. So this is a bill that essentially makes hate speech and hate crime um, illegal. And that's problematic again, because it's so subjective. Who's to say what uh, what causes offence? Who's to say what what is hateful? And it, if you look at the definition of this legislation, just reading the Bible in your own home could be classed as an illegal act. And if someone is in your house that disagrees with it or finds it offensive, you could be shocked. You could be arrested, reported to the police for breaking the law, just reading the Bible. That's how far things have gone. Yeah, I mean, hate crime laws are are really scary when you really think about them with the legal logic behind them, because like you said, it's in, a lot of times it's entirely subjective with how um, people define hate crime. Um, but additionally, it's also, you know, asking the question, is the punishment supposed to be different for when one person is harmed versus when another person is harmed? And how, why are we discriminating in punishment? So it's kind of like you're countering discrimination with discrimination is something that we kind of just see as this, this cycle of, of <laughs> lack of logic and reason. Um, so to actually, I'm kind of curious what some of the critics are saying about this law. Um, I know there's obviously concern of government overreach, which is actually the first time I've ever heard liberals be that concerned about government overreach. Um, so I think it's kind of entertaining to watch them um, freak out about this. Um, but, you know, do you think that there actually is potential for government overreach in this? Could the law be abused? Um, you mentioned that there's going to be a designated person responsible for promoting um, free speech on campus. Um, what's the... What do you think the likelihood of that role being abused um, is? Well, this is the problem, isn't it? When you want to fix a problem, uh, legislation is always the last resort because if you put something into, into place, that power could be abused by another regime. Um, I don't think it's going to leave a lot of scope for abuse because it is going to be about, like I say, promoting free speech rather than not undermining it uh, and protecting it. So we'll have to wait and see what the final details show, but it could always be abused. And, and like I said, the, the bill in Scotland, um, as you de you described it, it sounded like fascism you know it's it is a case of fighting discrimination with discrimination and this is what identity politics is isn't it you know in critical race theory you fight racism with racism um but the problem i from my perspective is that the backlash hasn't been big enough so on both sides so this this uh higher education bill we haven't heard a lot of enthusiasm around it outside of you know free speech campaigners and the hate crime bill or the hate speech bill we haven't heard many people complaining about it outside of campaigners and it's, we've reached a point in this country where you can be reported to the police for a non-crime hate crime and that will stay on your record so even if you're not found guilty of committing any crimes you will have a record of being of, of committing a hate crime it doesn't make any legal sense it doesn't make any logical sense it doesn't make any moral sense um so i'm hoping uh, I'm praying that this this uh, new law actually can undo some of that, but we've got a lot of unraveling to do. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. You mentioned um, kind of these being able being reported on if you're doing something, you know, that could be suspicious or deemed bias. That reminds me a lot of what we see on college campuses in the U.S., which are these things called bias response teams. Sometimes they go by other names, but essentially it allows students to report on one another anonymously um, on whether or not someone has done something offensive or that they didn't like or bias. And it can actually go on their permanent record um, and, you know, affect, uh, they could actually be punished, be forced to go through diversity training. And it's very legally questionable. Um, and there are a lot of our cases at Speech First have been kind of centered around this. Um, but I'm kind of curious, with the university systems um, in the UK, is do you see something like that on campus? Do they have, you know, these types of reporting systems in place on the campuses? Um, I'm curious also just kind of how 
UK systems, our university systems differ from the US systems and now does it actually, um, does it, how, how enforceable is this all by the government essentially like private versus public and, and how much influence can you have there? Oh, so the bill itself is very enforceable. So all of the uh, university bodies are held to account by the government in some way, shape or form, usually through funding. But there is, yeah, it's not very uh, devolved, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But there is also a very, what's called like a snitching culture, I suppose, in that student bodies tend to now have these weird roles like diversity officer or, I don't know, inclusion support officer or there's usually someone with a very fluffy title that essentially means we want to make sure that you're not saying anything that causes offense to people um you know offense crime police and even even the real police at this point there was a case very recently where uh, some of our police officers were still outside a billboard that said hate crime it's causing offense is an offense and they had to be corrected because of course causing offense isn't an offense in this country right. yet but that's that's the road we're, we're going down um so in a, in a university setting you can report someone on most of these student bodies uh, if they have caused offense to you and the, the problem is that you know they're going to lean on the side on the assumption that you've done that on purpose because intent and context are no longer relevant so it's not even a case of what you said it could or how you said it, it could just be the actual words you used uh language has been weaponized in that way uh, I find it also problematic and quite terrifying, actually. I completely agree. Do you see this as kind of a door opening for um, for the UK to now pursue other kind of either laws or just tendencies towards various freedoms, similar to like what we have in the United States in the First Amendment? Um, what do you and what do you foresee? I, I just keep in the back of my mind recently, you know, Prince Harry over here said something about the First Amendment in the US being absurd. So I'm just kind of curious, is that is that a general way of thinking in the UK? Or do you think there's like an opening here to, to start being more free in the UK? No, Prince Harry, bless him, is entirely woke and he's a lost cause. And I try to disregard everything he has to say. I think you, your First Amendment is fantastic. And I wish we had something like that at this point, because the way our law used to work with, with the common law was, was great, but it doesn't happen that way anymore. Uh, we don't have our freedoms unless it's explicitly um, we're told we don't have it. it is flipped around so it'd be great to have something although I don't want a written constitution because that can lead to abuse in so many ways um, right. but what I would like to see is our current laws enforced more so we already have the Education Act of 1996 which states that political uh, that uh, education organizations have to be politically neutral um, but we see so many of our schools, for example, teaching critical race theory, the idea of, of, of white privilege as fact. Uh, and that's, again, very divisive and harmful for young people. But no one's clamping down on them. No one's enforcing the laws that we already have. So I don't really see the point in creating too many new laws uh, unless we're going to do something about them. Yeah, um, no, I, I completely agree. I think that would be quite interesting just to kind of see what the next steps are. Um, you said it takes it's going to take about four years for this law itself to actually be enforceable. Well, they've got four years to implement it. So it has because they uh, mentioned it in the Queen's speech, they have this government term to implement it. So there's four years of this term. Uh, so it could, they could put it in practice tomorrow if they wanted to. They'll, they'll get around to it. Um, so I, I don't think it will take the entire term to, to enact but it just means that we will have it within that period. And I'm kind of curious if you have been keeping a close eye on just what's been going on in the US um, with cancel culture and attacks on free speech. Um, 
what do you advise us to do? You do you obviously like we have very different governmental systems. Do you think there's something from this law that the United States could take away and learn from? Or what are your thoughts on kind of what we're going through and what we're doing in response? Well, the problem is we tend to be following you guys. We tend to be you know, six months behind you. So my advice would be, please, America, get your act together so that we can copy you. Um, I, yeah, I think because of the way that your university system works and it's so you know, de- devolved, it's very difficult to have um, a legislation that applies across the board. Uh, but it would be great if you could make sure that your First Amendment is, like I say, enforced and kind of that universities are a safe space to use their own language against them for people to debate and criticize and and have transparent conversations and explore ideas, even the bad ones, or especially the bad ones. You know, the the reason that critical race theory is so prominent right now and all of these identity politics, queer theory, gender theory, are all doing so well at indoctrinating young people is because we're not allowed to critique them. We're not allowed to challenge them because to do so is to be a bad or evil person. Uh, So we need to explore academic debate again and not turn it into a morale issue and turn it into an ethical issue of of like we're not subscribing to these ideals we're debating them and seeing how they can improve society or not yes with no contradictory ideas we're just going to keep spiraling down these these odd paths and no one's going to no one's going to stand up for what's right and what's the truth um i like i like that line we're going to finish on that america get your act together so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's a message to take away. <laughs> um, great. Well, thank you so much, Calvin, for being on today's ep- or this week's episode of Well Said. Um, you know, to everyone who's watching, send me topics that you're interested in hearing us talk about at info at speechfirst.org. Put in the subject line, well said topic suggestion. You know, always happy to hear from the audience. Uh, like I said, we have a new podcast now. Um, and so you can download us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, um, and share us on Facebook and YouTube. Um, like I said, this is Well Said. It's live bi-weekly show where I interview policy experts, academics, students, activists on higher education, free speech, and other related topics such as American culture and policy. Um, thank you again, Calvin, for being with us today. Um, I'm Sharice Trump, and this is Well Said. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.